Welcome to The People's Lawyer, a podcast from the National Association of Attorneys General, the nonpartisan organization representing America's attorneys general. Attorneys general have a unique role as defenders of the public interest and often work collectively on nonpartisan issues that have a wide impact on people's daily lives. In our second season, we've invited attorneys general from different political parties to discuss how they work together in a bipartisan way to serve their constituents and protect the rule of law. My name is Allison Gilmore, and I'm Chief Communications Officer at the National Association of Attorneys General. In today's episode, we sit down with Guam Attorney General Levin Camacho and Vermont Attorney General T.J. Donovan for a discussion about how attorneys general collaborate through NAG to address issues like privacy and substance use. Uh, Generals, thank you so much for joining us today. We're honored to have you both on the podcast. Um, I wanted to jump right in, since I know we don't have tons of time, talking about what it's like um, in a small office. You both have relatively small offices compared to other attorneys general, um, but I'm guessing your work doesn't differ that much from your colleagues. Can you talk a bit about how your office serves constituents and whether your smaller size impacts your collaborative work with other states and territories? And maybe um, A.G. Donovan, do you want to kick it off? Sure. Well, good morning, Allison, and thanks for hosting us, although it's very early here in Vermont, and I know it's very late or getting late in uh, in Guam and General Camacho. Great to be with you, uh, albeit remotely. You know, um, I, I think there's real benefits uh, from being a, a small office. Um, and, you know, from Vermont's perspective, we're I think we're the biggest law firm in the state, you know, 90 plus lawyers, I think 150 staff. Um, obviously, when you compare that to our colleagues across um, the country, we're, we're very small. But I think, and this is perhaps a, a Vermont um, tradition, a political tradition, is you know, we pride ourselves on, on being accessible uh, to our constituents. Um, everybody's got my phone number. Um, which is, it's a good thing. Sometimes it's not such a good thing. Um, uh, and uh, I, I think being accessible um, to your constituents um, makes this a very, it almost feels like a local office sometimes in a statewide office. Um, and I think that's kind of part of being who we are in, in Vermont. You know, with my colleagues, and, and I don't know if General Camacho feels the same, I feel incredibly lucky to be part of this team because we rely on our colleagues who have the resources, uh, who have uh, the subject matter expertise on really complicated issues, and it's such a it's such a uh, value add to Vermont to have these partnerships, to have uh, the, the the friendships and the collaboration, because it adds value and it benefits Vermont. Um, when I'm able to to work with a with a New York or a Nebraska or a Washington, uh, because Vermont just doesn't have the resources. Yeah, Ag Camacho, what about you? Do you notice a difference, and how has it affected your work? Well, Guam is small uh, to begin with, and just to give some perspective, because a lot of folks probably don't know too much about the, the island. We we have about 160 to 165 thousand people here. And people are always a little bit surprised to learn that we have 55 attorneys within our office and we're small, but we cover everything. So I'm a little bit different. I don't think AG Donovan covers, has original, maybe I'm wrong, original jurisdiction over prosecution. So our criminal prosecution division is our largest division. Uh, We also handle child support out of our office, which is the second largest division. And then you get into the more traditional work, consumer protection, 
providing legal advice to our agencies. And I, you know, I'll agree with A.G. Donovan that it's small and I run out, I'm at the grocery store and I'll see uh, a senator and they'll ask me, what's the status of a contract or what's the status of a bill? So I don't give everyone my phone number and I, I <laughs> you're a little bit more accessible than I am It's because the calls will probably never end from not necessarily constituents, but just from folks following up on government contracts in particular. But I will say that what I've noticed is even with the size of our office, we have a lot of folks who are dedicated to public service and it's the AG's office is not for everyone. You don't get into this line of work to make a ton of money. Um, it's basically the equivalent of educators for attorneys. I think you, you have to have a real interest in, in public service and, and providing your community with some pretty critical services. So when we talk and work with other offices, you just see folks who are so open and willing to share and share resources and be there for because they, they share the common mission. So whether it's Vermont or any other state or territory, they know what it's like and how important a lot of the cases that we take on are to our constituents, both locally and nationally. And I have been extremely surprised at how welcoming the AG community is, the AG room, as we refer to it. So it's, uh, it's been a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, that's great. And, and we see it, um, you know, the different offices working together all the time with NAG. And one of the ways that they do that, and you as, as members of NAG, you get to participate in committees that focus on substantive legal matters, sometimes recommending policy positions for action by the whole association. So could you maybe, A.G. Camacho, talk about um, serving on NAG committees and, and the work you do, how it affects your territory and your state? You know, I did a little bit of research and A.G. Donovan before, I think you're a prosecutor, and you, you kind of had a different approach to how we deal with criminalizing mental health and substance abuse. And we're always looking for a model out there that's gonna work for our jurisdiction. We're always looking for what are evidence-based solutions to crimes that are being committed in our communities. So dr drug offenses in particular have been something that I would say I've taken a different approach and we've prioritized having both the punishment but also being smart about rehabilitation because, we, you know, in Guam, we, I think we share a very common recidivism rate. Two thirds of our folks are basically back in, in prison, especially for those who have drug related offenses. So NAG has been a great resource and this, the committee members in particular, uh, you know, we're on a call on the criminal law committee and we're talking about how to use the use of grand juries in investigating officer involved incidents. And I don't need to, to say that that's an important and hot topic nationally on how are we transparent? How do we build faith in the process? How do we assure our communities that when there is the use of deadly force that results in death or serious physical injury, that we're gonna follow the same process that we would for any other case. So I, I really think the, the committees allow us to engage in these very good discussions with other offices and to kind of see what's working, what may not work and, and to get us moving in a good direction. AG Donovan, anything to add about any of the committees or just working on a committee? No, I, I totally agree with uh, General Camacho. Um, I think the only issue with the NAG committees is I'm interested in all of them. Uh, and, you know, because there's, and I, and I think, you know, as General Camacho was saying, that is really the, the virtue of this office. The portfolio is quite expansive and it really touches kind of every aspect. And so kind of choosing your lane, again, being from that smaller office, um, uh, given, you know, limits on resources and time is hard because they're all very interesting. But I was on that uh, criminal law 
uh, committee call with General Camacho. And uh, absolutely, I think it's being shared by General Jennings from, from Delaware and uh, talking about transparency and, and police use of force policies and you know grand jury transcripts and whether or not they can be released um, if, if there's not a true bill returned. Uh, and in fact, from that meeting, uh, we were able to pull a policy um, uh, from New Jersey about releasing um, uh, officer-involved shooting videos. Uh, oftentimes, if there's a charge, because it's now becomes evidence, it's not released to the public or during the investigation, it's not released. Obviously, transparency and public trust is a critical part uh, of this conversation we're, ha we're having about uh, police accountability and uh, increasing the public trust in, in, in our law enforcement. And so that's the benefit of these committees. And again, the ability to develop those relationships, the ability to hear about what other jurisdictions um, uh, are doing. I mean, the one thing that always amazes me, in spite of our sizes, you know, again, Vermont is is small. Um, it's always good to be with somebody who has less people than Vermont, though, General Camacho. I, this is like one of the first times where I can say we, we actually are bigger. Um, is you know, whatever the size of the jurisdiction, I'm always amazed that we're always dealing with the same issues. A little bit different, but we're always dealing with the same issues. And um, that's the real benefit that I've always found from these committee work. And, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about is substance abuse. And obviously, we're all working very hard on dealing with the opiate epidemic in our in our jurisdictions in our states and uh, working with General Morrissey from uh, West Virginia. And again, a bipartisan uh, effort of how do you how best to address um, people who are struggling with addiction and whether or not if there's a settlement and some money's available for abatement, what is the best practice and really listening to different um, jurisdictions and I kind of come at it with a view that I don't have all the answers and uh, if we did we might not be in the position we're in and so really listening not only to people from uh, different places uh, but also listening to their constituents right from the community uh, because my sense is that's that's where the real power lies and um, I, I just think it's a wonderful opportunity to to collaborate, to listen, and, and to learn from my colleagues. And that's what I try to do because I'm sure General Camacho feels the way I do. I mean, we get a lot of stars uh, uh, in, in this field. Um, and it's, it's just been great. General Camacho, anything to add about the Substance Use Committee? I know you started to talk about that earlier. We, as we move towards data and, and being evidence-based, I, I think we're just really seeing a shift in an approach. I was a defense attorney for many years prior to being AG. And you know, I, I've seen how adult drug court has completely transformed from when I started practicing in 2005 to now being the attorney general uh, on the side of, of the scales, I guess. Um, and it's gone from being pretty punitive in nature to being more therapeutic. You know, I, I remember going on, attending a hearing and it was write a letter of responsibility after testing positive in a drug test. And five years ago, that was a sanction and you're going to go to jail for a day or two. But as we gather more data and we see what's really effective, and I, and I think just the approach to drug use as being a mental health issue. And General Donovan talks about opioids and reading through 
what is the best approach and person-centric type of messaging. I, I didn't realize how, how much research has been done on how to develop an, an effective preventative campaign on opioid abuse or substance abuse. And just the word you use, the way you describe, and, and also pointing out that resources, it can be addressed. And it's one of those things where before it's like, say no to drugs. And I was like, okay, that's, it's that easy, right? But when you deal with folks, and I had the story of a client who basically was on pretrial release and chose to go to jail over dealing with testing and, and treatment. And that was a moment for me. It was like, when people are willing to choose incarceration over being free and able to go about their lives, and there, there's some real serious issues. So one of the things that I really wanted to prioritize becoming AG is we need to treat folks with addiction issues differently. We can't just say you're a criminal, we're gonna throw you in jail and, and that's gonna resolve it because it, it hasn't worked and we need to be innovative. And, and, and you know, I, I see the AG room is very open. We, we are gonna have different approaches, um, but it's always here, good to hear what, what's out there, what, what the world is, what the possibilities are and to push. Wonderful, well, thank you for, for sharing that. And I wanna switch gears a little bit because you both also serve on the Internet Safety and Privacy Committee at NAG. Um, attorneys general regularly work to protect the privacy of their constituents and try to ensure a safer online environment. Um, can you talk about how your office protects consumers uh, against online threats? I don't know, maybe um, General Donovan, do you wanna start? So I'm really kind of passionate about the issue of privacy and what, is it, what does it mean in this kind of digital age that we're all engaged in? And what does it mean, you know, in this remote world that we've all been living in, in the last year or so? And Vermont has, um, I think, a very strong tradition and values privacy. And I think the question of what does that mean in the 21st century has been hard to answer. And how does it mean, as General Camacho talked earlier, from that traditional role of the attorney general in terms of consumer protection? And for me, it means a couple of different things. And first, you know, we have to talk about scams. And the number one call we get um, to our consumer assistance program are about scams. And, that's, and, and what that means is people getting ripped off. Um, and whether it's about a robocall, whether it's about a phishing email, um, social, you know, social security scam, I think is the number one uh, scam in Vermont, I think the United States. And just last week we were able to uh, reach a settlement with a company on, on a robocall. And so General Camacho, Vermont has about 620,000 people. Um, we, in March of 2021, we received 5 million robocalls came into Vermont. Um, and we were able to conduct an investigation that actually tracked one of those calls back to India. And then we were able to trace that call back and to basically what's called a gateway carrier company uh, based in Florida. And we were able to reach a settlement with that company uh, to essentially now now they have to verify the legit the legitimacy of the calls coming into Vermont, and, and so that's something that you know is really kind of just basic government for me. How do you protect people? How do you protect people's livelihood? How do you protect their privacy? The other case I want to talk about in terms of privacy is we have filed a lawsuit and it's uh, still pending, so I can't say too much about it, uh, against Clearview AI. Um, and essentially what this company uh, 
does is it would screen scrape millions of photos off of you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, and then they apply this facial recognition software uh, to these photos and they sell it to third parties. And when I heard that, we started doing the research, um, knowing they would do this to kids, uh, and I have young kids, um, without any notice, without any consent, um, I felt like it was, it was a violation. Um, and the idea that um, you can take somebody's photo, apply this software to it, and sell it without notifying the individual, without when you talk about minors talking with uh, their parents, um, felt to me to be uh, not only deceptive, but unfair. And that case is winding through the courts, but I think as we kind of carve this space out um, in, in this online world, uh, when you're talking about different platforms and what is the responsibility of those platforms, when you have people's data, when they're buying and selling people's data, um, what is the consumer's interest? And you can talk about the GDPR uh, in the EU, you can talk about what California is doing in terms of data privacy. And I, I think this is really the, the next area where AGs are gonna lead, in my opinion, because it really goes to the basic government response of protecting people in this online world and their, their, their personal information and their data. Well, I, I will say that uh, A.G. Donovan is, is really, I, I remember being on a, going to a panel you're moderating and you pulled the book out. And you know, I think everyone was, was kind of freaking out because you, you read, oh, in this passage, you talked about this. And like, oh, wow, he, he actually reads about this and he, he's asking questions from a book. And um, those are those moments where I realized, well, A.G.'s, although we all are very different, probably all are nerds and geeks to all of our friends. And like, oh, you're reading... I'm halfway through a book on Section 230, and I'm, I was kind of reading through surveillance capitalism as well after that panel, actually, because it was raised. So I, I agree that this is really the next area of concern for AGs and, and consumers. And I think about it not in terms of safety, but also in terms of consent. And when you are out there surfing on the web, you don't realize just how much data you are giving and that is the currency now. It's how much information and how much of a profile can we build based on what you like, what you comment on, whose photos you're loading. And it's very hard for us to make relatable to folks because you're like, oh wow, I was just thinking about this and now I'm seeing an ad when I do a web search and not realizing that you have inadvertently consented across all these platforms for them to track your every move and there, yeah, there's some benefit to it, but have you agreed to it? So when we talk about privacy, I think that's that really is gonna be the next step. And you have kids who are signing, you know, it's weird that I in, I graduated from university in 2000 and I went to school in Pac-12 and I think Stanford kids got the, the jump on Gmail. So everyone always asked me, how did you get these specific email addresses on Gmail? And I realized I signed up for my account within like two months of them launching the beta. You know, oh, wow, 100 megabytes. That was a huge thing at the time of free email, right? When you still had zip disks and those sort of things. And I don't think anyone would have realized just how much they would control and how much of a presence they would have in everything from email to web browser. And I was on a call with someone talking about 
you know, Internet Explorer is the, the last big antitrust case that maybe I can remember. And Internet Explorer was everywhere. And, and now you look at it, okay, what happened after all these legal actions took place? Well, the market became more competitive, perhaps for another person to come in and, and now occupy the entire realm when it comes to web browsers. But I'm sorry, Allison, I'm jumping ahead of the script a bit. No, please. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask about I've got the Google case, which I think you're leading into. Would you mind explaining a little bit? Because you mentioned antitrust and anti-competitive when you're talking about um, Internet Explorer. But obviously, these days, Google is the big topic. And I know a lot of attorneys general have been working together on on looking into Google's practices. Well, and I want to kind of go back to something A.G. Donovan mentioned with, with bipartisan work and Kind of, you don't really see it, unfortunately, in this climate. And this might be, we might be some of the few elected officials who work with our partners and, and work with folks. And it doesn't really matter what political affiliation you are when it comes to things such as internet privacy, when it comes to antitrust activities, when it comes to opioid abuse. Um, but with the Google lawsuit, really for the anti-competitive behavior, a lot of it comes down to marketing and what you're selling and all the data that you're, you're collecting and then kind of pricing out competition who are advertising. I, I think the concern is when it comes to marketing, I mean, print ads are not nearly as effective as they were before. And when you have an, a bunch of data that you can target and you can advertise a product, you can advertise a candidate, you can advertise an idea and pay for it. And you've now limited the market for that. And by gathering based on the web browser you choose, all this information, you're gonna be able to charge a premium price and not allow others to fairly compete when it comes to advertising and marketing. Did you have anything to add on the, on the Google case? No, I mean, I think General Camacho uh, was spot on. And I think when you control the market and then you, and you control the information, um, I, I think that warrants um, uh, government review. Great, thank you. So um, I know I've I've taken a lot of your time, early morning and and evening time from both of you. So I want to start to wrap up. I'd love to just talk a little bit about the relationships that you have with your fellow attorneys general and how working within the NAG uh, organization has helped you serve your own constituents. I know General Camacho, you, you you mentioned just in your last response you know, political affiliation often doesn't make a difference when you're working on these types of issues. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, what the working relationships with your fellow attorneys general, you know, how they help you in your, in your day to day. Well, well 90% of the time that we respond to these side on letters, I feel like we're the territories in, in the, uh, <laughs> the, the musical Hamilton where we're like, and the territories. But I think it's a good reminder that there's over 3 million people who live in, in non-states uh, between Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, American Samoa, Puerto Rico, and the District of Columbia. And NAG has 55, 56 of, of, of the jurisdictions represented. Uh, in, in terms of the benefit to Guam, it's one of those things where our constituents often say, okay, you're on these letters, big deal. But we have a, a case pending before the Supreme Court of the United States on an environmental issue. And a very famous blogger pointed out that of the 26 AGs who signed on, they were equally split between Democratic and Republican AGs. And I, I, that would not have happened without the infrastructure that NAG has built in to, hey, here's an, a matter that you might have an interest in. And an AG looks at it, they have the protocol to decide whether or not to sign on. But I look at NAG as really allowing us to amplify 
the the power of of any individual AGs, and it means something. Uh, we have VOCA, the Victims of Crime Act, which is something that every single AG has signed on in support of. And you know, when you're able to point out that every place and everyone who's represented by an attorney general supports fixing this law because it'll benefit the victims of crime in their, their jurisdiction. That that's very impactful. So I, I just, it's been great. Again, I, I would, did not anticipate showing up to my NAG orientation. And when I tell people, Oh, we have an AG class, it's, it's kind of weird going back to law school too. <laughs> Here are my, here's my cohort. I came in with these various AGs and, the bond you form uh, generally seen has been very fantastic and very welcoming. General Landry was the president of NAG when I came in. So I, everyone's been extremely welcoming and supportive. And I get to learn a little bit more about each of the other jurisdictions <laughs> like Vermont. General Donovan, anything to, to add as we wrap up about your experience working with your fellow attorneys general through the NAG apparatus? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it. Um, as General Camacho said, you certainly have these professional relationships, but um, you develop personal friendships um, uh, with many of your colleagues. And that has been something that I've really enjoyed. Um, and it's not only friendships, but for me, it's been mentorships as well. Um, General Camacho mentioned General Racine, and who's just done a tremendous job as, as NAG president uh, this past year, incredibly difficult year. Um, uh, but he's been he's been not not just a friend but a real mentor uh, to me, um, and I am constantly on the phone to my colleagues, um, asking them what they think about certain cases, uh, the number of sign-ons uh, that come in. I think I was remarking to myself last night as I was finishing up my day, going through my emails, the number of emails from Ryan Greenstein from NAG. <laughs> And um, the time they started to the time they ended, and there were all different sign-on letters. And I think, again, getting back to that first question from a smaller jurisdiction, can you keep pace sometimes? Um, and, you know, you, frankly, you can't uh, because there's a lot coming at you. And that's why the relationships that you build at NAG are so important to be able to get on the phone and say, okay, what do you think about this? Tell me, what is the issue? Um, what are the legal uh, issues and questions and what are we trying to accomplish? Um, it, again, it's that force multiplier for a small jurisdiction because of the relationships that NAG uh, uh, creates and fosters. Uh, and it's been helpful. And I would just reiterate again, um, I think NAG is the only space where the bipartisan work is, is, is happening. And that's incredibly important. Um, I'm convinced of, I'm a Democrat, I'm, I'm proud to be a Democrat, um, but I'm convinced when you talk about the role of attorneys general and really every government official, what people want is government to work and for government to make people's lives better. Uh, and that means sometimes um, we got to take off the, the, the political uh, name tag and just get the work done and uh, improve uh, the lives of our constituents and improve our states and improve our country and our territories. And, and well, I will say when it comes to sign on, and this is my very first meeting, and you point out that we come from small places and someone pointed out, you know, Guam signing on to a, a nag letter and hitting the threshold 
your vote is just as important as a New York or California would be. And I think it's something that when we talk to the other territorial AGs, we point out that to get to these numbers, 26, 36, whatever it is, no one at that point is worried about where these votes are coming from. You know, at the end of the day, we're all attorneys general voting on an issue that affects our constituents. So that, that really helps a smaller place like Guam. We're just as important when it comes to these, these issues, when it comes to, to NAG sign-on. So it's pretty cool. Wonderful. Well, thank you both for your time and for sharing uh, about your experience with NAG and just working with other attorneys general. We appreciate it. And um, I'm sure our listeners will learned a lot about both, both Vermont and Guam today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The People's Lawyer. We look forward to bringing you additional insights about the nonpartisan work of America's 56 state and territory attorneys general in future episodes. In the meantime, you can learn more at naag.org or email podcast at nag.org.